Taylor led an African-American men's ministry at his church that was African-American. And as the story goes from author Stephen Mansfield, Taylor had a falling out with the church and the leadership about that ministry. Angry, upset, frustrated, embarrassed, Taylor said, I'm just going to handle this on my own with Jesus. The problem was, is that Taylor led a men's ministry of hundreds and hundreds of men. And these men had caught the vision of what Jesus had for relationships. They loved one another. They prayed for one another. They supported one another. And these men called Taylor's wife and they said, if it's okay with you, we want to camp out on your front lawn. So these men camped out on Taylor's front lawn, and they had signs that said things like, Taylor, we love you. Taylor, come back, come back and talk to us. And one with some humor said this, Taylor, you idiot, get out here. <laughs> Taylor remained in his house, and soon Taylor got so frustrated he called the police. The police came to the house, assessed the situation, and Taylor's wife wouldn't press charges. And as the police knew what was going on, one of the officers said, I wish I had a church that cared for me this much. And as Taylor stayed in his house and as he got more frustrated, there was a moment that he finally broke. And he came outside and he hugged the hundreds of men that were there. And they reconciled and he came back to church. And like any great church, they had a barbecue to celebrate afterwards. <laughs> How many of you have friends that if you were going down a wrong path, they would camp out in your front yard? How many of you have people in your life that if you saw them going down the wrong path, you would camp out in their front yard? Today, our main point is this. In community, you become more like Jesus. In community, we become more like Jesus. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. If you're on live stream, um, we want to welcome you. If you have your physical Bible or your a tablet or a cell phone, we'd encourage you to pull the passage up. The book of Hebrews was written to a community of followers of Jesus that experienced great trial and challenge. They had outside critics and people that were telling them that believing Jesus was not a value, that it wasn't important and they were losing some momentum as a church. There's probably no book in the New Testament that is more applicable to us today. How do we hold traditional values of what we believe about Jesus? How do we explain fresh moves of God when God does something different outside of our comfort zone? And how do we deal with an ever-changing world where things are changing all the time and even where we are, it can be very, very tiring. This is the book, this is the letter that is written to that church. The writer of Hebrews has spent 10 chapters explaining this beautiful theology about Jesus, why Jesus matters, why Jesus offers life change. And at this moment, the author pivots to talk more about the implications, the practical implications of following Jesus. So let's look at verse 19 together, and it says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. 
having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Before we go any further, I want you to grab your bulletin. You're going to need this today. But the first thing you can do is just grab this blue card here. And there's going to be two slides that pop up. As in, in working with Pastor Rob, the lead pastor of this church, with our small group leadership team, you know, we have established five core values and also five challenges for small groups in this next year. And through this message and responding to prayer and many of your feedback, we believe that God wants to do something more in small groups, whether you're in one or going to join one. And so I just want to reference that to you. And like I said, we'll be coming back to that too. As we begin this passage and the importance of gathering together, the realities of Jesus's ministry influence our relationship with each other. It's really the first thought that comes from this passage. As I said, Hebrews 1 through 10 describes Jesus's ministry to us. And when we talk about Jesus's ministry, Jesus died on a cross. He resurrected from the dead. Jesus gave up the riches from heaven to come down to earth to work a blue collar job to serve people that were the most destitute, the outcasts of society. We live in a society today that says this, if you're good enough, you can get to God. If you can perform, if you can do things that have a resume that looks good. But there's two words, really even in this passage, that help us understand what the author of Hebrews is trying to say. Through Jesus, we have access. As it says in the verses there, it says, let us draw near. And the point of that is we don't draw near because we've done something really special. We draw near because of what Jesus has done for us. But on top of having access, we have acceptance. So what the author is pointing to is through Jesus, we don't need to go through the sacrificial laws. We don't need to follow these important days, so to speak. And these, the people that were reading this letter for the first time, they had come to believe that going back to their old way of life, trying to earn God's approval, that by doing that, that they would be cast out of society. But the author of Hebrews is saying this, no, 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 it's through Jesus you have access and acceptance. And when we read passage like this, sometimes what we end up doing is we read it as an individual. But I want you just to come back, look at verse 19 with me. It says this, therefore, brothers and sisters, the Greek word for brothers and sisters is the word Adelphi, commonly known in our day as the word for Philadelphia. As you read this passage, you notice there's no me, there's no I, there's no you that's a singular pronoun. I know we're going back to school today, but there's a lot of we and there's an us. And so the author of Hebrews is not only helping the original readers from 2,000 years ago, but he's helping us see this, that we belong to Jesus together. Yes, it's an individual faith. Yes, you grow in reading your Bible. Yes, you grow in praying. Yes, you grow in, in serving and doing social justice things. But all of that 
for you to really capitalize, for you to really become more like Jesus, it requires you to do that in community. The writers of the New Testament, they assume that you're working your faith out, that we're working our faith out in relationship with other people. As I said before, Jesus... He lived in a small group for three years. He had 12 disciples that each day they would follow him and he would do teachings and they would serve and do ministry together. As we get to the church, when Jesus goes back into heaven and we hear about the first church, Acts 2 describes them in this way. It says that that they were eating together, they were fellowshipping, they were praying together, encouraging one another, reading God's words that describes the community. And you might say, well, it describes it, but it doesn't come out and say, well, I have good news for you. The Bible prescribes community. In the Bible, there are 51 another's. Each of these one another's from loving one another, serving one another, forgiving one another, all of these one another's speak to the sense that what you do as an individual, what you do to work out your faith and become more like Jesus is directed in community. It's influencing through other people. There's a slide that's about to come up, and it's the one another slides. And I just picked three of these one another slides, and I just want to give you about 15 seconds, encouraging one another, forgiving one another, and serving one another. Take a quick look at that. When was the last time, maybe in the last week or month, you did that for someone else? As I reflected and and did my own work, as God's word was really penetrating my heart, there was at least one or two of those that I realized I hadn't done that in the last week. I hadn't been close enough maybe to forgive or serve one another in the way that God had called us to. No matter where you are, no matter if you're a skeptic, if you're seeking Jesus, or you've been following Jesus for 50 or 60 years, if you want to become the person that Jesus has called you to be, it requires gathering together. It requires being an intentional community. It requires an intentional small group. So when we talk about gathering together, the first thing I want to say is this, gathering together provokes our love to good deeds. Gathering together provokes our love to good deeds. Look at verse 24 with me today. It says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. To really understand this passage and this verse specifically, we have to understand the order. You see, like I said before, what we sometimes do is we say, I will work to earn. And there's a part of our society that we need to do that, but that's not the gospel. You see, in order for us to love and do good deeds, we have to receive from Jesus. And the love and the acceptance that Jesus has given us, the access that Jesus has given us, it ultimately provokes good works in our life towards other people. The order is important. The other thing is the word that's in here, the word spur, also could be translated stir up and provokes. Now, You might read this passage and think, wow, that's a really inspiring passage. It's a really inspiring verse. That means that I'm going to go and I'm going to do good works to the community around it, to my small group, to all these people. But that word has a messy connotation. There's another point in the New Testament where this word is used. And there's a leader by the name of Paul and a leader by the name of Barnabas that had a sharp disagreement. They provoked each other. Now, they ended up reconciling later, but 
It's a messy word. And what that means is this, being in community, at times, it can be uncomfortable and it can be messy. You see, when you know what God has called you to do and you're hesitating and you're waiting and you're in the background, it takes people that you know and trust to say the things that you need to hear, to encourage you to walk with you. And sometimes it causes you to do this, to do things that you don't want to do. Sometimes when you're going down the wrong direction, you need someone to provoke or stir you up. And what happens is, is this, that happens in the context of relationships. If I walked up to you today as an individual and I began to tell you everything that you fix, you need to fix in your life, you probably would look at me and say this, pastor, go back to the preaching, you don't know me. You see, we can't walk into relationships and think that we can have everything working together, that we can have all this trust built up. It takes time and it takes investment. It takes walking with people through life and it, you build trust incrementally. And as the passage closed with, it's the habit of meeting together. It's the habit of gathering together. And it's in that that sometimes it's inspiring and encouraging that, that you can do what God's called you to do. Sometimes it, it's the word that isn't easy, but ultimately this, when we're provoked, when God stirs us up, when people around us who care about us, who love us, who have our best interest in mind come and say these things, we're challenged to grow. Not uncomfortable, not comfortable, but worth it. When I think about this verse, I think about the small group that I was a part of in Philadelphia. The picture of my friends is gonna come up uh, right now. And after I graduated from college, I took a job as an admissions counselor down in Philadelphia. And with my friends, we began to be in a small group together. And we really shared life together. I'll never forget, my friend Vinny moved within an apartment complex from one apartment to another, and we moved all of his stuff without a moving van. We walked together, we prayed with each other. At times, we really challenged each other. The, the man that I'm standing next to, the tall guy named Joe, Joe at one point sent all of us an email, and it had two questions on it. He said, what am I doing really well, and what are my areas of growth? Could you send that email to people in your life that you trust? Do you have the courage to do that? Would you have the grace and the truth and the tact to respond in a way that someone could receive that? I applaud Joe for that courage to trust us to say things without damaging him or hurting him. But I'll never forget this. The hardest part about me moving to Rochester, I love Philadelphia, but I love upstate New York more and I love this job and I love serving you, but the hardest thing about moving to Rochester was knowing that those friendships would change. And we've walked through seasons together. They walked with me as I was dating my wife and prepared to move from, from Philadelphia to the Rochester area. And they, they were encouraging me. They said, Peter, we need to provoke you to take this next step. This is what God's calling you to do. How many of those people in your life do you have that provoke you to good works? How many people do you have in your life that you trust like that? That's what this passage is talking about. It's talking about you being in community with other people. It's about if you're in a small group right now, I should be able to see how, how last year is different than this year, how we're all going and growing. That's the call of this passage. 
So as we think about this, gathering together provokes us to good deeds. And then next, gathering together cautions us from wavering. Gathering together cautions us from wavering. Let's look at verse 25 together. It says this, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as the day approaches. As I said before, the church in Hebrews was going through a very difficult time. They were receiving these threats and criticism and challenge from their neighbors and the people there. And to follow Jesus, people thought that it was worthless, that Jesus was this crazy person. And so what was happening was these people that, that were part of the church, they were part of small groups, they were ended up forsaking and they were leaving the group. And this had two issues with that. The first issue is this. The person that was part of this small group, that was part of this church, was missing out on the support that people had from Jesus. They could have received encouragement. They could have received what the community has to offer. But the second problem with that was this. The church was becoming discouraged because the person that left, the person that was leaving because they couldn't persevere, they were receiving discouragement. And that's what the author of Hebrews writes to. In this passage, the author of Hebrews is extremely encouraging. But the next verse, in verse 26, the author of Hebrews talks about the problems of when we forsake the community, when we're not present, when we're not with people. You know what that means? Your presence in a group matters. Your influence matters. Having people in your life matters. As I began the intro with the story about Taylor, that comes from a book by Stephen Mansfield. He wrote a book, 10, Ten, Ways, that a, uh, Ten Ways for a Leadership Crash, 10 Warning Signs of a Leadership Crash. I want you to hear what he says about isolation. Isolation is a distress flare. Fight it in your own soul. Be courageous to confront anything that tries to drive you into your own remote emotional jungle. And love your friends enough to pursue them. I can't tell you how much damage has been done because friends sat around wondering what to do when a lifetime friend pulled away. Isolation is a distress flare. Just like this passage, there, there's a principle that if you read leadership books that, that you can see when people go through moral failures, I've never met someone that says to me this, I, I want to be really successful in my job and then I want to have an affair with my coworker to ruin my marriage. I don't meet people that say this, I really want to climb the corporate ladder, make all this money and by the way, end up losing my family. I don't want to continue to have a habit or an addiction. I, I want to walk right into that. I don't hear people saying that, but it happens. Because the moment that we need people the most, the moment that we need to receive support, or the moment that we see people walking down a path that they're not called to do, what, instead of reaching out to people, instead of barging our way in in a healthy way, instead of doing that, what ends up happening is people isolate themselves. When it's actually an opportunity for us to camp on the lawn of the front yard and to make sure that that person knows that they're loved and cared for. That's what community does. That's what being a small group is a part of. Now, you might be saying, Peter, you know, I, I don't know about if, you know, I would ever experience an immoral failure that big. I don't know if I would ever blow up my life that big. I get it. I think we're all susceptible to that. I think we're all susceptible at that point. 
but there's also minor failures that can happen when we're not in community. If you're a boss and you're not treating your employee well, employees well and you're not listening, if you don't have a small group of people asking you the tough questions, asking how you're trying to empower people, asking about that, you might lose a few employees that go along the way. If you're a parent, if you're a mother or a father, you might devote your life to kids, making sure that they're successful in their sports, successful in, in doing all their academic things, trying to get them in the right college, which none of those things are bad, but when that's the main goal, you might miss out on actually having a relationship with your child. You think about you know, facing certain trials and, and feeling as though if you're walking through grief by yourself, you see, these minor moments that seem minor compared to the ones that I just explained, that's what missing out on community is. That's what not having a small group of 10 to 12 people is that you have people that walk with you, that they're there with you, that they're encouraging you. Let me tell you what it looks like in my life. My daughter Haley is 18 months, and when I get home from church and I get home from work, I have an option of checking my email, trying to finish things up, or spending time with her. And so, you know, we play soccer, we read stories together, we play basketball, we eat dinner together. And I'll be honest with you, at times, it doesn't feel all that productive. It doesn't feel, it's cute and it's sweet and I love my daughter, but I feel like I could be doing something else. I could be cleaning the house or doing... But I realize that as I look down the road years and years ahead, I'm investing into Haley's relationship. There's coming a day that she probably won't want to talk to me about certain things. There's coming a day that maybe when she's 15, 16, and 17, that, that she won't feel ready to talk to dad about certain things. But I hope she knows that her dad is there for her and loves her and cares for her. But... Haley's part of a small group. Haley's part of Embrace it through our family ministry for our preschool. She's going to grow up. She's going to be part of Explore Elementary for first through fifth graders. She's going to have a small group leader. And then she's going to go to Emerge for our junior high, and she's going to have a small group leader. And then she's going to go to Elevate, and I don't even want to think about her in high school because this dad ain't ready yet. <laughs> but you know what? She's going to have a small group leader. And as I pray for her and as I invest time into her, as we read the Bible and talk together, I realize this is that the church is partnering with me through small groups. See, small groups is not just a flashy program. It's a, no, we believe that you become more like Jesus from birth all the way to 95 years old, and we have people joining together with us. And then my wife, when I get home, and we're spending time together, we're eating. I have the option when Haley goes to bed, I have the option of just talking, you know, talking about work and church and things like that, or I can actually make the opportunity to do this. We can talk about what God's doing in our lives and we can pray for each other. I have the option of turning on the TV, but I need to invest in that relationship. But do you know how, you know what helps me put into perspective those relationships that matter the most? It's my small group. We meet here on Thursday nights. This small group has been together for the past 10 years. I've been a part of it for six years. And, you know, if you were to come to our small group, 
you know, we pray for each other, we read the Bible together, we support each other, we've been there. And it might look pretty routine, but there's something about being in a healthy small group, being in a small group where individuals are growing and they're provoking each other to good deeds. I can't tell you how many marriages didn't go through a path that they weren't supposed to. I can't tell you how many parents got perspective when they were about to make mistakes. I can't tell you how many of my friends in small groups who feel like family, that they could have taken the wrong job or they could have, been, they could have stayed in the wrong job, that because we prayed together, because we journeyed together, because we have all these stories. And here's the deal. I can tell you that in the past six years, we've come a very, very long way. And I can tell you the individuals that have grown But I can also say this, God still wants to do more in us. God still wants us to grow. And as I go to that small group, as I'm in the habit of going to that weekly, I'm reminded of the importance of my role as Haley's dad and Robin's husband. I'll never forget the one small group. We split for prayer, so the men pray together and the women pray together. And I'll never forget the time that we made a pact with each other that if we talk disparagingly about our wives, that we have permission to call each other out. Are you in a community that does that? Are you in a community that you're not wavering, that you have permission to speak the truth, that you have permission to hear the truth from other people? Small groups is the way that we grow Yeah, you can pray on your own. You can read the Bible on your own. But the 51 another's in the Bible explain to us this, that we are living in such a way that we're working out our faith with each other, that we're becoming more like Jesus. Jesus was the one that embodies this passage. And there are countless examples of how Jesus did that. But I want to give you one today from the Gospels. Jesus was about to die on the cross. He was about to go through excruciating pain. And here he was at his last meal. And he takes a basin and he asks all of his disciples, he asks his small group, he says to them this, he says, I want to wash your feet. And Peter, in pride, the one apostle says this, Jesus, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to wash your feet. And the Savior of the universe, the one that has all power and all control, in, in his small group begins washing the feet of the disciples and looks at them. And he says this, so I have done for you, you do for each other. Gathering together provokes us to good works. Gathering together keeps us from wavering because that routine, I could read you every statistic there is about how, how being in community, how lonely we are as a culture, but it comes to a place this, are you actually living this out? If you all could, can you grab your bulletins? We're gonna come back to these. Like I said, as a leadership team, you know, we prayed along with Rob and the small group leadership team, along with adult ministries, the team that I serve. And small groups is not something we want from you. 
I don't want to just throw something else on your calendar. I don't want to throw something on your schedule. Small groups is something we want for you because as this passage says, being an intentional community, there's an element of following Jesus that you can only do when you have people that you love and trust around you. So as we think about these core values, we believe that they're from the Bible and we believe it's what God wants to do in small groups. And then we have five challenges for the next year. Because I don't want any of us, and we don't want any of you to go through the next year of small groups and ask the question, how do we grow? You see, for us to become the church that Jesus has called us to, for us to become the people that God has called us to, we have to raise the level of challenge and commitment. God is calling us to take that next step. As individuals in small groups or whether you're about to get into small group, we should be able to say from September 1st, 2019 to September 1st, 2020, this is how we grew. This is how we became more authentic. And we believe that these challenges and we believe that these core values are living out what Jesus called us to. I want to talk to two groups of people today. For those of you that are in small groups, my prayer and hope is that you go deeper you go deeper in God's word. You go deeper into challenge. I pray that I hear stories of you sending that email out to your small group and saying this, where do I need to grow? What do I need to change? What's working well in my life? And I pray that if you're the recipient of that, that you see the honor of walking with someone and watching them grow. You can even take this handout and bring it immediately to your small group. And as a group, you talk about it Pray about it. Use it as a way to say this. This is what success looks like. This is what God is calling us to do. And then for those of you that aren't in small groups, we're going to have a small group launch October 6th. It's going to be here at the church. You're going to be able to meet small group leaders. You're going to be able to meet people from different ministries like women's ministry and men's ministries and our marriage ministries and our young adults. And it's going to require a step of faith from you. It might be people that you don't know, or you might not be in a small group, and you know a bunch of people that aren't in a small group. We want to help you do that. So whether you're in a small group or not, I want everybody to take this tear out. There's a tear out in your bulletin. You can rip it off right now. And I'm asking you to respond to this message. If you're currently in a small group, your response to this message is this, hey, I'm committed. I'm committed to my small group over this next year. And for those of you that aren't in your, a small group, we're asking you to fill this out and take that next step. Whether you wanna see about potentially becoming a leader in your own group and starting one, whether you're looking to participate in a group, we want you to take that step. We don't wanna miss this opportunity because we believe that God wants small groups for you, not from you. I want to give you a few moments to, to take time to reflect on this and fill out this form. But before, before that, I want to read you how this verse has been retranslated by a commentator by the name of Donald Guthrie. And I want you to just to take these words and reflect on them for a few moments. To whom in the body of Christ or to whom in my small group, or to whom in my community 
Am I giving encouragement this day or this week by my presence or my actions and my words? Am I receiving encouragement by remaining faithful to my association with the body of Christ or my small group or my church? Take a few moments to go through your card and I'll come back and close. We're better together. We're better together. The gospel of Jesus does this. It brings a people group together that feel loneliness and isolate. We may not always agree, and it might be messy, but the community, being in a small group, being connected to people is so worth it. Could you all stand with me today? I want to... I want to wish every one of you a happy Labor Day. And for parents, students, and teachers, I just want to encourage you. We're praying for you. We love you. Thank you so much for investing in education. Um, before we even close this, I, we have one of our missionaries here today. Um, we have the Finch family. Cher, where are you? Can you wave? Cher, you can scream. You're loud enough. All right. Cher, let's give it up for Cher Finch. You know, Cher is someone that was in part of intentional community, the Finches were, and in small groups, and God provoked them to do good deeds, and they went to Africa. Who knows what God wants to do with you? And then I, I just want to say this. This is probably the best announcement ever. If you are a college student, so whether you're from RIT, whether you're from Monroe Community College, whether you're from University of Rochester, St. John Fisher, Brockport, whoever you are, um, we want to practice living out this message. So there's a tent that you can go to after service. There is completely free pizza. And so we want you as a college student, we want to welcome you, and we want to encourage you to be here together. So go there, and um, we hope you have a great time. Now I want to say a blessing over you when it comes to this passage. If you feel comfortable as a tangible way of receiving it, you can just put your hands out like this. May the love of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, may the empowerment and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit be with you. May you find true gospel depth in community. As you think about joining a small group or participating in your current small group, May you gather together being provoked to grow in good deeds. 
may you gather in such a way that, that you're cautioning people from wavering and that you would receive the truth. May we as a church live out this passage in such a way that people would see the love and the grace and the access and the acceptance of Jesus. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the life. Amen. Don't rush off. Feel free to get to know some people around you and introduce yourself. Thanks for coming. <laughs>